We're going to continue today in this series of Disciples Making Disciples. This, is the, this will be the fifth message. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to John 14. John 14. I said last week they wouldn't, the I am statements wouldn't be in order. And there's a purpose for this. You'll see later. But they're not in order. John 14, we're going to look in the first four verses, a very, very familiar passage. And as you're turning there, I am going to be reading out the New American Standard Bible again today. Throughout this series, that's the translation I'll be using. It's okay if you want to use King James, New King James, NIV, whichever it is for this series. I will be in the New American Standard Bible. And as you're turning there, Job 14 and 1 says this. Anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. That's what Job says. And this is a great truth. Anyone, man or woman, boy or girl that's born of a woman, their days on earth are short. They're few and they're filled with trouble. Miss Zima Dale Hunt is 96 years old. If she lives to May, she'll be 97. Miss Evelyn is 91. 93. 93, okay. 93. Miss Emma, Mammy, she had a birthday Friday. Turned 90. Now, we don't have no men in here that's 90. I think the closest... The oldest man in our church family is Mr. Kenneth Greenway. And he's getting awfully close to it, but he hadn't got there yet. Now, when we look at those numbers or we hear those numbers, we, we are almost in awe, aren't we? They made it that long. But in light of, reali- light of the reality of eternity, they're just a few days. Now, we have a hard time understanding this. You know, in my mind, uh, I'm not going to get the 90. I don't have total control over it, but I'd almost bet my, my very next breath, I'm not getting the 90. I know how I feel at 53. Don't say nothing. I know... I know it's hard for you to imagine all this white hair in just 53 years. I get it. I get it. At my age, you know what I've learned is I've I've buried many family and friends. And the longer I live, the more I will bury. I've had many sleepless nights. And the longer I live, the more I will have. I've cried myself to sleep on many occasions. And if I keep living, I'm going to shed more tears. I've experienced disappointment, discouragement, and doubt. And if I keep living, I'm going to experience more disappointment, discourage, and doubt. 
Those of you here who have lived a little longer than I have, many of you have experienced all of this in a greater volume than I have. And those of you who've not quite lived as long as I have and you haven't experienced all of these things yet, keep living. That's all you have to do is just keep living. When you reach your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, and if you happen to get into your 90s, you're going to be asking the question, where has time gone? It's at that point when you'll start to understand just how short and full of trouble life really is. Now, for some of you, this may sound a little depressing. But I do want you to know experiencing trouble and being troubled are two different things. If we live, we will experience trouble. But if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be troubled. Even in the midst of trouble. Look with me in today's text. In in chapter 14 of John's gospel, verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I know King James says mansions. And if that were not so, I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am there, you also will be. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. (laughs) Oh, this is Jesus' words. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that in this troubled world that we're living in, we don't have to be troubled. That, God, we can have assurances that comes through your word. And we can live in light of all the promises that you have given us. And knowing, God, your promises are yes and amen, that, God, we know that they're coming to pass so we don't have to be troubled in this world. Comfort our hearts today. Strengthen us, God. And, God, if there's any here among us who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, speak in a mighty way. Convict their hearts. Help them to see their need for a Savior. And God, we'll praise you for what you do in the midst of this congregation. Not just today, but forevermore. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. The backdrop of this passage has to do with the conversations Jesus had had prior to it with his disciples. In chapter 13... What we find is it's time for a feast, a Jewish feast. The feast is called Passover. Jesus and his disciples observed this Passover. And after the meal, they 
to their surprise, Jesus took a water basin and a towel and he proceeded to wash his disciples' feet. After these things, the, Jesus shares some trouble, troubling news with them. He shares three things in particular. One, he informs the disciples that one of them will betray him that night. He also informs them that he is going away and they can't follow him right now. And also he lets them know that before the sun comes up, one, the most bold in the group will deny him three times. Jesus' next words indicate just how distraught these disciples were with everything that he had told them. And I can only imagine how confused and heartbroken they were. And whether Jesus could see it in their eyes or whether he just knew their hearts, he followed with the words of the first six verses in chapter 14. But the truth is this, tough times are going to come our way. John 16 and 33 tells us that as long as we are in the world, we will experience tribulation. Job 5, 6 through 7 says that for disaster does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born of trouble as sparks fly upward. In other words, we there's going to be trouble here as long as man is on the earth because man is who's made of dust. Troubles and trials are part of this life. However, in the midst of the difficulties that life throws at us, we can have peace. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. The word let here is a command to do something. When trouble comes our way, we can choose whether we're going to get involved or whether we're going to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. We can choose whether we want to get up and be a part of what God wants us to be a part of or we can sit down and do nothing. One's going to indicate that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. The other is going to indicate that at best you are a believer. We don't have to surrender to the trouble. We don't have to allow our lives to be destroyed. We don't have to, we don't have to just let things be the way they are. Instead, Jesus tells us in Matthew 11 and 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Philippians 4 and 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Psalms 55 and 22 says, cast your burden burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. We've got to get it out of our vocabulary that well at least we can pray. That's the most we can ever do is pray and it needs to be an important part of our lives and for a disciple it is a it is a vital part of each and every day of their lives. But reality is we're flesh. And because we're flesh, we're going to hear the words, well, that's a little easier said than done. We may even use the phrase, well, that's a little simplistic. Well, when we look in this passage, what we find is true disciples will rely on their present faith. What do I mean by that? Well, here in the text, what we find is Jesus tells the disciples to believe. 
Now, the word believe here is to think to be true. That's what it means. It means to be persuaded of or to have confidence in. Literally, the word means to exercise faith in someone or something. And this verse speaks of two different kinds of faith. Now, first, what we see Jesus say here is believing God. Now, here Jesus is given a directive. I don't know how you typically read this, but he is giving a directive. What I mean is this. He's not asking a question. Depending on your translation, you may get the idea that he is saying, if you believe in God. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, believe in God. He, what he's saying is, you believe in God. <laughs> when we believe in God or we place our faith in God, we trust his promises. And trusting in his promises sustains our faith. Why do I mean by that? Well, you want to know why people will run away from God? Why people will turn their backs on God? It's because they failed to spend time in God's word. They failed to spend time listening to God. They failed to spend time hearing him speak to them. So when life pushes them into a valley, they don't recall Isaiah 43 and 2 that says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, and th th through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. They don't recall 2 Thessalonians 3 and 3 when it says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. They don't recall 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 when Jesus, when, when Paul says that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. They don't recall Romans 8, 38 and 39 when Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't recall these things if you don't spend time with him, hearing him share it with you. And because people haven't trusted in the promises of God, they fail to experience the power and the presence of God. I'm talking about a power and a presence that sustains us when the next trial comes. And it will come. Can't get away from it. It's coming. But for true disciples, their faith will be sustained. Because they've done what Jesus said. They believed God. See, Jesus doesn't just say, you believe in God. But he says, you believe also in me. See, it's not, a, it's not a question if you believe in God, you believe in me. He said, hey, believe in God. Hey, believe in me. He's giving two directives here. And in both directives, he's being very careful in what he's saying because they're, they're, they mean two different things. Again, believing in God, that sustains you through troubles and trials. <laughs> so basically what Jesus is saying is that's not enough that's not enough it's not enough for you to, be, to have sustaining faith 
You need saving faith. And see, it's when we believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we believe in Jesus that we become saved. So sustaining faith is no good without saving faith. (laughs) Romans 10 and 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Again, sustained faith is no good without saving faith. But once we've exercised saving faith, then we experience sustained faith. What I mean is it's then that we trust in his promises. And because we've trusted in his promises, we begin to experience the power, the presence, and the provision of God in troubled times. So yes, (laughs) yes, true disciples will rely on their present faith. But true disciples not only rely on their present faith, they also look to their future hope. Jesus says here in verses 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you because I am going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am there you will be you also be get this Jesus is looking at these disciples and he can see their disappointment he can see their discouragement and their doubt so he tells them to believe in God and believe in him then he tells them there's a better place that's being prepared for you (laughs) He's telling them that this world is not their home. He's telling them that that this is not going to be their final resting place. While we live here on earth, we are not to become comfortable here. I'm afraid that's the problem with us. We become so comfortable here that we take ownership in this place rather than ownership in heaven. And when we take ownership in here, we get so discouraged and we get so disappointed when things don't go the way that we want them to go. We get angry at others and we start to divide from one another because we want to take possession of this place. But when we let this place go and start focusing on our future and not what's going on in this cruel world, then we <laughs> then we are exhibiting signs of being disciples. We are told in Romans 12 and 2 not to be conformed to this world. Folks, we are pilgrims. We're foreigners. We're strangers in this world. You know what I have a problem with? That's my house. (laughs) 7896, that's my house. Because we're making the payments on that house. But it's going to be nothing but rubble. Now, I don't know when, but one day it's just going to collapse. It's going to fall down. I have no idea when it's going to be, but that's exactly what's going to take place. One day I'm no longer going to be here. And if I die and that house is still in our name (laughs) 
and Iola passes and the house is still in our name, it becomes Taylor. Well, you see, there's just Taylor with us. And so if she passes and the house is in her name, then eventually there's no one to make claim to it. And what happens, you've, 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 re- you've rode by, when no one will take claim to something, it just falls. And we will ride by and we'll say, Lord, that family ought to be ashamed of themselves. Well, just maybe they didn't have a strong hold to this world. And they didn't care about it. You know what the truth of the matter is? When we realize that this is not our home, that our home is in heaven, we realize we're the church. And this building is not the church. And what we'll find is it doesn't matter if we're comfortable here for an hour and a half, two hours. What the matter is when we go out into the world and share Jesus with the people who are on their way to a demon's hell. If that doesn't bother us, you can know you're not a disciple at this time in your life. People are dying. And we're worried over things that have no earthly, no, well, they have no kingdom value. It doesn't make sense to me. But we do. I mean, I'm as guilty as you are. I'm as guilty as a lost person is. Because we all get called up in ourselves. <laughs> Jesus has told these boys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. <laughs> Leave this world alone. Do what you have to do while you're here. You know, that's why Paul could say, if I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's gain. <laughs> because this isn't what mattered You mattered to Paul, but this world didn't matter to Paul. You've got to matter to me, but this building doesn't have to matter to me. I've got to matter to you, but this building can't matter to you. The way you put the building above each other. When we do that, we're no different than the world. What we're saying is this is mine. And God said it's not mine, it's his. Either he's head of the church or it's not a church. It's a social club. And we get to choose what it's going to be. Is it going to be Christ's church where he's head? Or is it going to be a social club where we do what we want to do? And you want to abide by our rules. You want to do what I want. Or we're going to run you off. We have to decide. You know, disciples... <laughs> We'll look to the future. Why? Because we, <laughs> we can't imagine the trouble that John experienced. The Roman emperor, Titus Flavius Dimensionus, had John banished to an island called Patmos. This took place in 95 AD. Patmos was known as a place of exile for conflict convicts. John was exiled there because of his unwavering dedication to the spread of the gospel. He was isolated because the gospel meant more to him than anything else. He was isolated because his faith in Jesus Christ meant more to him than anything else. And this was a pivotal time for Paul. It was a pivotal time for the church. It was a pivotal time for you and me. Because while on this island, God spoke the 
John. John was, was taken up by the Spirit, the Word. God was able to reveal to him what we needed revealed to us. And we find it in the book of Revelation. So it was a tremendous time for us. You know, I thank God he chose John for that time. If he'd have chosen me, I don't know what you would have got. But he chose John for that day. I'm so thankful he chose John. John received the revelation of Jesus Christ while on this island and the promise of a future like nothing we could ever know here on earth. It is provi- he's promised us a much better day, a day that we will never receive here on earth. For what John saw was a a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. John saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Not only was it a heavenly city that he saw, but he heard a heavenly voice, a voice, the voice of God saying that the tabernacle of God was with him. He said that it was the the dwelling place of God would be with me. And you know what the tabernacle is? I want to make sure we understand what John is saying when he says that. The tabernacle was known as the place or the presence of God. As the Jews were walking through the, the, the wilderness, they had made a tabernacle. And, and that tabernacle, it, it represented the very presence of God. So we need to understand that when when John saw that the tabernacle of God was with men, what he saw was that the very presence of God was right there with men. The dwelling place of God was with men. John, God among he was among his people and he would dwell among them and they shall be his people and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no longer any death, any mourning, any crying, any pain for all we known will pass away and God said to John write for these words are true and faithful oh man oh man that place is a much greater place than this world could ever offer it's a much better place than what this community could ever offer it's a much better place than what you or I could ever offer It's a place, you know, there's tears crying right now, right down the road. There's tears probably crying within the hearts of people right now because of the uncertainty of tomorrow. Actually, the uncertainty of the next few moments. And because their hearts are heavy, they they can't focus completely on the Lord unless they give it all to him and trust him and look to this day. Rather than looking at what's before him right now. John didn't just see the tabernacle of God was with men. He didn't just see a holy city coming down from God. John saw a river (laughs) with the water of life. And it was crystal clear. He saw a tree. The tree of life bearing 12 different fruits. Have you ever seen that? A tree that will bear 12 different kinds of fruits. Well, we'll get to see that in heaven. In a place where the curse is lifted, where we can see Jesus face to face. You know, in that day, we have no more faith. Because our faith will become sight. You know, I'm looking for that day. 
where I don't have to depend on what I believe, but I can depend on what I see. Right now, I believe it. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he rose from the grave. I believe he's coming back. But one day I get to see him for myself. It's a day when there'll be no more night. You know what happens at night? Nothing good. People get broke in. They get stuff stolen from them. People go crazy. They get drunk. They get high. They get foolish. People are being murdered. But in that place, there'll be no night. There'll be no night. It'll be day because Jesus will be there and he'll light up the whole city because he is the light of the world. Oh, Jesus says this, behold, I come quickly. (laughs) That right there ought to scare the daylights out of us. Not scare us to where we're wondering, am I going to make it to heaven? But it should scare us to where I better be about my father's business. (laughs) Man, when we're about our father's business, we can rest in peace. We can have joy. Love will exude from us. He doesn't say only that he's coming quickly. He says his reward is coming with him. And the reward will be given to those who deserve it. You know, I'm glad you don't get to choose who deserves it. I'm glad I don't get to choose who deserves it. But the righteous judge will choose who deserves it. I'm sure, I'm sure in our feeble attempt to do the right thing, we'd make a mess. We'd leave people out. Or we'd give it to someone who didn't deserve it because of personal feelings, ties that we have to them. God is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. Let me ask us this question. I'm getting ready to leave us alone. I know you're ready for me to sit down. Let me ask us this question. Are, and this is a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we living our lives as professing believers in Jesus Christ who's troubled by things going on in this world. When others see us, are they seeing that we're troubled? Let me help us. When they read our social media posts, do they see that we're troubled? When they hear our conversations, do they hear that we're troubled? When they see our actions... Did they see we're troubled? Or do they see that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, relying on our present faith and our future hope or our hope for the future? Because my hope is right now. My hope's not. (laughs) My hope's right now that I have a greater future ahead of me. So I want to encourage us all to let's grow 
in our walk in the Lord in such a way that when the world sees us, they see disciples who doesn't waver in their faith. That the world, the world needs to see in every one of us that our momentary, our light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. They need to see that trusting in the promises of God and experiencing his power and presence is something that they can attain because they see it in us. They need to see that we're placing our hope into the, not in this world getting better, but a better tomorrow that's on its way. They need to know that we're not consumed by the troubles and trials of this world. Instead, we must be consumed with our hope for eternity with Jesus. As I was preparing this message, this isn't the way I thought it would come out. God spoke to my heart early this week. And he convicted me in such a way to where I've been ashamed <laughs> for 19 years. I've been more concerned about pleasing people. And God said, when are you going to become concerned with pleasing me? So whatever that means, <laughs> I'm not going to make threats. But whatever that means, my focus is on him. Because he's promised me a place. The Gaither sang about this place. They sang an old hymn that the word said this. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the pure and the free. These truths in God's word he hath given. How beautiful heaven must be. In heaven no drooping or pining. No wishing for elsewhere to be. God's light is forever there shining. How beautiful heaven must be. Pure waters of life are flowing. And all who will drink may be free. Rare jewels of splendor are glowing. How beautiful heaven must be. The angels so sweetly are singing up there by the beautiful sea. Sweet chords from their gold harp are ringing. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. A fair haven of rest for the weary. <laughs> How beautiful heaven must be. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
I believe with all my heart, many in here today are on their way to this beautiful place. I want to encourage us all. Let's realize that it'll be sooner than later. In light of eternity, we only have a few days here. And we're going to experience trouble. But while we're here, we can make our lives about Jesus and what he would have us to be doing. Let's come together and be the people of God, doing the ministry of God in a community that loves God. At this point in the passage, we can see Thomas is like many of us. He is so confused that he asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? We give Thomas a bad rap because the others were probably just looking for someone to ask that question. Many of you have said something to your children, to other family members, to co-workers, to friends, and they were confused. They couldn't understand what you were saying. So you had to say the same thing in a different way? Well, that's exactly what happens here. Jesus shares with Thomas in verse 6 what he had said in verse 1. He just said it in a different way. Because in verse 1, Jesus had told him, you believe in God. You believe in me. If you want sustaining faith, you first need saving faith. Thomas didn't understand this. What Jesus was saying, if you want to get to God, you got to come by me. So Jesus says it in a way that leaves no doubt. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to get to the Father, you must come by. Unsaved, I don't know how to say it any simpler than what Jesus has already said. It doesn't matter what religion says. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't matter what celebrities say. Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through him. You may believe in God, but believing in God won't get you to him. You must believe in Jesus. Do you believe? As they begin to sing this song of invitation, do you believe? If you believe, if you believe in who he is, come, come, I introduce you to him. Others will pray with you. Would you come right now? Right now, would you come?